Our reading this morning is from Matthew, chapter 28, beginning at verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Can you hear me okay? Excellent. I managed to break the microphone when I was putting it on, so just wanted to (laughs) make sure you could hear. Well, it's really lovely to be here with you this morning. Um, Today we're going to be continuing with our theme of um, discipleship that we've been looking at for the last few weeks. Uh, Last week um, we heard about God's call on Isaiah's life, and today we'll be thinking about his call on each of our lives as we look at this passage that we call the Great Commission. Now, reactions to hearing that passage could, I imagine, fall into one of two camps. Some of you might be sitting there thinking, great, we're going to talk about evangelism, bring it on. Other people might be thinking, oh no, maybe I should have stayed at home. Well, the good or the bad news, depending on your perspective, is we will be thinking about how and why we share our faith. But we'll also be thinking much more broadly about what it means to be the people of God, to make disciples, and how that works itself out in different ways for different people. So let's pray as we start. Holy Spirit, as we come to your word now, please would you open our eyes, our minds, and our hearts to receive and respond to all you want to say to us today. Amen. So these verses that we are looking at today are the very powerful conclusion to Matthew's Gospel. And just before this, of course, Jesus has died and his body has been placed in a tomb. Three days later, he has appeared, first to a group of women, and he's relayed to them uh, a message for his disciples to meet him uh, a few days later on a mountain in Galilee. Just one or two quick um, observations um, on that context before we get into the meat of the passage. Mountains are often seminal places in the Old and the New Testament, aren't they? Places where significant things happened. And this wasn't just any mountain. This one was nearly 100 miles away from Jerusalem, where the disciples were at the time, where they were trying to get their heads around all that had happened over the last few days. So this wasn't a meet-me-down-the-road sort of message. It would have been a time-consuming and demanding journey for the disciples to make. But despite the roller coaster of the last few days, to their credit, the disciples went. They had learned that when Jesus asked them to do something, they did it, even when it seemed unclear and challenging. And as a result, they put themselves in a position where they were able to hear from God. The next thing that we read in the passage is that they worshipped him, but some doubted. I think that's pretty understandable and possibly a bit of an understatement. 
These 11 men have given up everything to follow Jesus over the last three years. It's been quite the adventure, but often unexpected, sometimes frustrating, and occasionally downright scary. And then in the last few days, the man that they've been following has died, and they thought it had all come to nothing. And now they've heard that he's been raised to life, but for some of them, this would be the first time that they would have seen him. So who could blame them for being a bit confused? And against the backdrop of all that, on this mountain near Galilee, the resurrected Jesus gives them this most awesome and extraordinary of missions, to conquer the world with the gospel, to teach those who will follow everything that he has taught them. And the first thing Jesus says here is that all authority has been given to him. In the beginning, of course, all authority did belong to Jesus, but he chose to give it up, to give it up in order to come to earth. And now he has been obedient to his father and fulfilled his mandate, and he has received that authority back. So the stakes are high. Jesus commands obedience. What he's about to say is important, and it carries weight. So then we come to the crux of what Jesus has to say. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So the key command here is to go and make disciples. Everything else that follows hangs on this. That's the key call for the church then and now. And there are four aspects of this uh, that I'd like us to explore. So to give you a bit of a roadmap of where we're going, the first is how we're to understand this command to go. The second is about what it means to make disciples. The third is about the role of sharing our faith verbally. And the fourth is about other ways that we put Jesus' commands into practice. And we'll spend a bit more time on the, second of, uh, the, sec- the last two of those, two point- those four points. So firstly... The call to physically go to a different place in order to make disciples was the call for many of Jesus' disciples. And in their case, there was a very practical imperative for them to take the gospel message beyond the relatively limited boundaries that it had reached um, up till then. Undoubtedly, this is still needed, and some people are still called to do that today. But I don't believe the call to go and make disciples of all nations means that overseas mission is the primary call for all of us. I think this command is, what it's about, is largely about signalling that what had, up to this point, been an almost exclusively Jewish mission has now given way to the mandate for a worldwide uh, multi-ethnic ministry. While Jesus originally preached and healed mainly among the Jews, his church is now to be established for all people. As many as possible from all nations and backgrounds must be given the opportunity to become part of God's kingdom. The second aspect I want to touch on is what we mean by disciples and discipleship. Notice that the command is to make disciples 
not to make converts. A disciple is a learner, a follower, an apprentice even. Someone who watches closely what someone else does and seeks to follow and to emulate it. In Jesus' day, and still today, of course, there would have been carpenters, bakers, cooks, other tradespeople. The best way to learn how to do those trades is to watch others do it and to imitate what they do. And that takes time and patience on the part of the person learning, but also on the part of the person doing the teaching, doing the discipling, doing the work of investing in someone over a long period of time. Our commission as disciple makers is to help people to follow Jesus, to show people what that looks like, to point to his kingdom, to show them what a life lived in Jesus' footsteps looks like, to help people learn Jesus' ways, his values, his character, his teachings. And it isn't quick work. The work of discipleship is a long haul and one that generally takes place in the context of relationship. And this brings me to my third point. While the call to make disciples is not only a call to direct evangelism, we can't get away from the fact that sharing the gospel message is part of what we're called to do. And we do need to take this element of the Great Commission seriously. There are people out there, and we will all have people in our own lives that we know and love, who don't know Jesus. And they may never come to know Jesus unless someone tells them about him. We're all part of God's plan to reach the world with the gospel. He has chosen and appointed and equips us. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2 says, Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Similarly, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says... Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. When we feel like it and when we don't, when it's convenient and when it isn't, we are to be ready to speak about Jesus. For many of us, this exhortation to talk about our faith can bring us out in a cold sweat. Why do we feel like this? As David reminded us last week, why wouldn't we want to share what we know, what we have, the relationship that we have with Jesus. When we have exciting news, if we've got engaged or we're expecting a baby or we've been on a great holiday, we want to tell people about it, don't we? And in Jesus, we have far better news than any of those things. But of course, the stakes are much higher when it comes to talking about faith. It can be hard to find the right words. It can feel judgmental. We can worry about not having the answers or risking the relationship. And of course, it demands a response from the person that we're talking to. I must admit, I felt quite challenged while preparing for this talk. There have been times in my life where I have felt more ready and willing 
to talk about my faith with others than I do right now. I, uh, my university days, I think, were, were uh, probably one of those times. I recently came across some of the diaries that I wrote. I used to write a lot of diaries. I don't have time for that anymore. Um, but I came across some of the diaries that I wrote while I was at university. And every line was filled with how much I loved God and how much I wanted to tell my friends about him. I was longing for and praying for and creating those opportunities in a way that I, I don't feel like I do with so much, uh, so much consistency now. Life gets in the way, doesn't it? And if, like me, your desire to, uh, to share your faith with others has waned a bit or it just doesn't seem to be quite such a high priority, we need to pray that God will light that fire again. We have the best news to share and God wants to give us those opportunities to do so. Before we move on, just a couple of quick practical thoughts about how we can go about uh, talking about Jesus. The first is that we all have a story of how we came to faith and of our ongoing journey of relationship, of ways that God has spoken to us, guided us, kept promises to us. Our story may be dramatic or it may not be, but we need to know what it is and to be comfortable telling it. Stories are compelling. They are ours, and they are harder for people to argue with. The second is that while we do need to be clear about what the key message of the gospel is, it doesn't mean a full alpha course download at every opportunity. As David encouraged us to think about last week, where are the everyday opportunities just to sow a seed Sprinkle a little salt. Season a conversation with something Jesus-flavoured. And thirdly, while we are commanded to be obedient to the work of sharing the gospel, we're not responsible for the outcome. That's God's work. The seeds that we sow may be just one small part of a person's journey of faith. We're called to be obedient, not responsible. All of that said, and this brings me to the final aspect of uh, this work of making disciples that I want to explore, I'm also very much convinced that the work of, share, of discipling is not only about sharing our faith verbally with a view to persuading others. The call of the Great Commission is, I believe, much broader than that, and it works itself out in different ways for different people, depending on our context, uh, our skills, the particular passions that, people, that God has put on our hearts, and the opportunities that God has placed before us. The work of making disciples is essentially about playing our part in establishing God's rule in every corner of the earth, in big ways and in small ways. It's about being known as people of character and integrity. It's about how we bring the presence of God into our homes, our communities, our country, and our world, being salt and light. And when I look at this church, I can see so many ways in which people are obeying God's call and bringing his presence into this community. I see it in the outreach to young families through Chatterbox, providing a safe space week in, week out for parents and grandparents and other carers to have a cup of tea and a cake and the opportunity to, to build relationships, to be listened to, to 
to be valued and understood. I see it in the thriving ministry among Ukrainian refugees in this parish, which has meant people have experienced the love of God and known that they are valued and cared for at the most difficult and unsettling of times in their lives. I see it in the ministry of hospitality that God has put on the hearts of David and Marion and Liz um, as they've made the vicarage a place of such warmth and welcome and a real hub for the community. Further afield, I see it in a friend of ours who runs uh, the, the Christmas Kindness Initiative at Emmaus Road Church in Guildford. It's a huge amount of work each year, and it's all about bringing joy and hope through very practical things like food hampers, hot meals, and warm clothes to local people who are lonely or hungry or facing tough times or can't buy their children presents at Christmas. And through that initiative, tens of dozens of people come to see each year, often for the first time, that they are valued and valuable. And that can lead to opportunities uh, for sharing of faith verbally and invitations to come to church. I see it in a friend of, of Brian's, my husband, who he used to play in a sports team with. This guy was a, a Christian um, and everyone on the team knew it, but not because he preached or directly shared the gospel with them, but because of the integrity of his character and the way he treated people. He just exuded love and joy and hope, and he always thought the best of people, which is quite unusual, isn't it? And his teammates really noticed that and were intrigued about what was different about him. I could go on. In preparing for this talk, I came across this quote, um, though I, I failed to note down the author. <laughs> but the quote was this. The central concern of the Great Commission is to proclaim as we go and wherever we go, with our life and with our lips, the person and word of Jesus Christ. So whether it's about being ready to share our faith verbally or to proclaim the person and word of Jesus in other ways, we need to be willing to be led by the Spirit, don't we? To allow him to disrupt us and to be willing to step out and to trust that the Holy Spirit will equip us. And at the end of the passage, we have this incredible promise. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We don't do this work of discipling alone. We do it with Jesus' authority, in his strength, and with his presence. I'd like to finish by reading um, an extract from a, a vision paper that the advocacy team that I work in at Tear Fund wrote um, last year. The vision is called uh, Restorative Revolution, um, and it's all about how Christians and churches across the world can be part of a movement to bring about a much-needed transformation in society. And this particular section is about the role of churches in being salt and light in their communities, and about how they can change them through how they embody and live out Christian values, and specifically about our role in, in sowing seeds um, that take root and grow over time. So it says this, sowing will require courage. Seeds are precious, and so sowing them is a gamble. We don't always know how or where they will land. But to sow is an act of belief in tomorrow, in the years to come. It is in these acts of sowing that we bear witness to the coming kingdom. 
sowing will be imperfect. We recognise that we still live with the consequences of the fall. We will need to repent, forgive, keep going with the Holy Spirit's help. Sowing will feel slow. It isn't immediate, but occurs over time in relationship, in community, in church. We need to have resilience, stickability. We need to be in it for the long haul. Sowing faithfully, knowing we may not be the ones who reap the harvest in our lifetime. Let's just take a moment of quiet and then I'll close in prayer. Father God, thank you for the privilege of partnering with you in your work of transformation and making disciples. Even though you don't need us to fulfil your mission, you choose to bring it about through us. Father, please would you speak to our hearts about what this looks like in each of our lives in this season. And give us the courage and willingness to follow where you lead. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.